we need to tend to all the important relationships in our lives and some of them are with ourselves and some of them are with some of them take place inside our skin container and some of them are outside of it so then it just sort of seems to make a kind of intuitive sense right yeah of course there's psychological entities in me that i need to give proper care and attention to and then there's the psychological entity called my five-year-old son who i need to give <laughs> lots of time and attention to and like obviously obviously they both need my time and attention you're listening to the alonement podcast hosted by me francesca specter author of alonement how to be alone and absolutely own it each week i interview an inspiring new guest about the time they spend alone and why it matters to them ultimately At the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a positive, fulfilling experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. 4,000 Weeks. That's the title of the New York best-selling non-fiction book written by my guest this week, Oliver Berkman. It's also the average human lifespan in the West, which... Yes, sounds disconcertingly short. Yet, in this book, which, to give it its full title, is called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, Oliver writes not so much about how we use this time, but the values that we apply to it. As a one-time productivity geek, Oliver explores how to redirect our attention away from efficiency and productivity and towards using our time for the things that we love. Now, one of the really gorgeous things about doing this podcast is that I get to not only explore the work of these fascinating people, but also to ask them questions about how it relates to my favourite topic, alone time. I'm really curious to find out how much of this 4,000 week lifespan Oliver thinks we should be spending alone. Plus, what value does it have as part of a well-rounded, meaningful lifestyle. Oliver, like myself, is all about the power of moderation, and I think he's going to have some really interesting insights. He's also the author of several other books, including Help How to Be Slightly Happier and Get a Bit More Done, and The Power of Negative Thinking. He seriously does have a knack for a good book title. He also wrote a Guardian column called This Column Will Change Your Life, for over a decade, which you may well be very familiar with. Without further ado, because as we know, time is ticking, on with the show. Before we get to our conversation, I want to give a big shout out to this season's sponsors, Flashpack. Flashpack is a travel company for solo travellers, providing boutique group adventures all around the world, from staying on a secret island in the Arctic to glamping on the Serengeti. Its adventures are targeted specifically for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s, so if you feel like you've slightly moved on from staying in hostels with gap year students on your solo trips away, then this is the holiday for you. Much like Alonement, Flashback is a community built around the power of going solo and their trips are an opportunity to meet like-minded people who share the same independent outlook as you. They're on a mission to create one million meaningful friendships across the world through the power of adventure 
and it sounds like it's working. 80% of flashpackers stay in touch after returning from their trips. If this sounds good to you, head to flashpack.com slash alonement, where you'll find an exclusive offer code for all Alonement podcast listeners, giving you £100 off your dream adventure. When we uh, when we first emailed about this show a month ago, by complete coincidence, you told me that you were alone in your cottage in the North York Moors uh, for the first time in a while with, in your words, just the rain and the chickens for company <laughs> ahead of uh, joining your family for Christmas. Uh, how was how was that time for you? I mean, it was like three days or two days or something because uh, my wife and son had just gone a couple of days early to where we were going it was it was lovely but i'm always struck these days since becoming a parent especially how um how i feel like i crave solitude and then you know about six hours of it is enough then i'm then i'm missing them <laughs> <laughs> you know it's actually i'm always surprised by how little i mean it's very replenishing it's very it's very re- re- refreshing but it but i always sort of I think I'm fantasized that I would love to go off for a month and actually my own company can't hold my attention anywhere near that long. Yeah, you know what? You're preaching to the choir because I, I think that the idea of moderation is, is a, you know, is a general sort of undercurrent to all of the narratives we have around self-help and personal development. I feel like it's not talked about enough and that's what I find so soothing in your work. Alone is a really loaded word, and I think that it encompasses so many different things. It can be really positive. It can be really negative. It has different connotations to different people. But what does it mean to you? It's such a great question. Uh, for me, it definitely the immediate resonance is positive, right? Alone is something that I feel I don't get enough of and that I look forward to. I am I am very sort of happy for the opportunity to sort of recharge in solitude i think it also has maybe a slightly dangerous allure in a way maybe this is just me but um certainly for me the a lot of the i think a lot of the sort of challenges and remaining opportunities for psychological growth and all the rest of it are from learning how to be with others that's the bit that is more challenging in my life anyway um so there can be a kind of a, a kind of allure of aloneness that is not maybe not not a totally positive one uh, you know uh, sometimes it's important to renounce it for a while maybe in order to do the do the things that you need to do and the things that matter i think you're the first person that's ever used that word the allure of aloneness uh, on this podcast and i think that's really interesting because I think for me, I I, I get that now. I get what you're saying, but I'm an extrovert who had to learn to spend time alone to find value in it. I'm I'm curious, would you characterize yourself more towards the scale of introversion in in order to have approached it that way around? I think so. I've I've keep coming up against claims that that what I understand by introvert and extrovert is not the right definition. So whatever, but I'm definitely the definition I always liked, I'm definitely someone who um, 
I really enjoy lots and lots of kinds of being with others, but it's but it ultimately uses up energy, and being in solitude restores the energy. So it's not that I don't want to be with people, and as as I say, you know, after a day or two of time on my own, I'm I'm completely done with that and need to be in uh, need to be in company. But it but the but the energetic side of it, it's definitely like that. But it's tiring ultimately. It can be a good tiring. Uh, and then, and then solitude is, is replenishing. So I guess on some level that makes me an introvert. Um, I also think just sort of historically in my life anyway, I'm a bit of a sort of a, sort of a control freak, not, not over other people really so much as sort of over my, myself and my time. And, and that is something that, um, is going to push you towards sort of lifestyles where you get to say what you're doing at individual times and you're probably doing it on your own and uh, I've got a lot of benefit out of that and enjoyment but I do think that you know if it's always useful to be pushing at your at your edge or the things you're not so good at for me that is definitely Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Sort of that definitely all takes place in the world of relationships, you know, rather than the world of uh, learning to be okay with being on my own or something. Mm, because in in your book, 4,000 Weeks, you describe yourself as, well, a productivity geek or I suppose a reformed productivity geek. I've never actually made that connection before, but it's so intriguing, that idea of productivity and aloneness, because you're right, it is easier to I suppose go faster whether it's better or not is very much up for um up for debate but you can go faster you can focus on a task you can uh control your own schedule I suppose if it is done in isolation of other people so I guess does that alert also overlap with the fact it can be quite productive yeah I think so I mean the, 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 there's that it's making me think of that cliched proverb i don't know where it comes from about you know if you want to go fast go alone you want to go far you need to go together i'm probably (laughs) misquoting that yeah yeah, in the short term there is that sense that you're calling the shots you're getting things done you're meeting your obligations if you're someone who uh, is burdened by that feeling of having duties you've got to fulfill certainly i have some resonance with that idea um so it's and and it's making me think a little bit also it's a bit like um you know minimalism it reminds me of minimalism and the whole sort of lifestyle cult of minimalism over recent years there are definitely parts of that that are so great and i'm really sort of you know, admire people who can live in that way to a greater degree than i do 
But there's one manifestation of that, which is very sort of controlly, isn't it? It's all about like expunging anything from your environment that isn't um, that isn't exactly how you want it to be. There's a case to be made. I always think that some sort of a true minimalist, a true minimalist spirit would be fine in an extremely higgledy piggledy, messy place because you'd be sort of the minimalism is in your lack of attachment to needing it to be otherwise so i guess the, where i see this as parallel is you sort of you know substitute physical objects for um human relationships <laughs> and um and there is there is something yeah there's something controlly about there can be anyway in in wanting to spend t- a lot of time on your own in getting to spend a lot of time on your own in having things go exactly or or closer to exactly how you want them to go and then there's something so much more challenging and in my experience challenging but rewarding in like figuring out when to go with the flow and yield and not be in charge of the plans i mean that's that's where all the that's where all the fun challenges are in my life anyway uh yeah it's so funny that we've actually spoken about the idea of minimalism uh, because just before we got on this call we were having a conversation joking about our zoom backgrounds and mm-hmm. you know mine i i live alone and i'm actually quite a naturally messy person who almost overcompensates for that by being ridiculous with my living environment I sort of I do you know I I do try and have as few objects as possible I probably am a bit minimalist in that way but I know it's something I can only really have because I live alone and I know that once I do introduce other people into my lifestyle then I can't especially if I were to go on and have kids, I don't think you can ever really control your environment. There have no. to be toys. There have to be physical objects. I mean, yeah. And I think this is all, I don't want to make a prescription for anybody but myself, right? I mean, there, there's definitely the other way of being here, which is to be sort of, and I know people like this who are sort of, uh, who can't be alone for, for, for even short periods and probably would benefit uh, from it. But yeah, I mean, having a small child, it really, it, I don't think any of these kinds of insights are, are only accessible to people who become parents, but they're sort of, they do get sort of hypercharged and delivered in a concentrated dose. Uh, <laughs> and I just love being, being a father so much, but, but if, if I'm going to focus on the challenging bits, it is things like no guarantee ever really that, um, that a given hour that you set aside for something solitary and focused can can actually be that far fewer available of those hours to begin with and you know a sort of a loss of a loss of kind of mental privacy i guess that is equivalent to the loss of physical privacy like there is no possession in this house anymore that i could i mean it's really hard you have to put things so far out of reach if you want some gadget that you own or notebook that you've been writing into not just become part of the collective flow of everything um and that's there's a sort of psychological equivalent to that, which is like, yeah, you you're it's it's pretty hard to defend those um those bits of time, all these things really it all challenges all these things so much. So I think probably in a useful way in my case anyway. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, whether you conflate that with with mental privacy, mental clutter, like that kind of thing. It just it's just generally the the chaos of introducing other people and yet it's not chaos 
for you when you in in your book the 4000 weeks mm-hmm. you say that that is actually the most important things you can do with your time involve collaboration or synchronization with other people like starting a business or visiting friends starting a family so where does alonement which is a term that is inherently moderate moderate mm-hmm. amounts of quality time alone where does that come into it in terms of time that can be valuable if the most valuable time is spent with other well, people yeah. I mean, you got to remember, this book is basically me working my way through to the advice that I need to hear. So it's definitely, you know, I, I'm not sure I would say that time, coordinated time with other people is 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 sort of intrinsically superior. What I'm saying is, firstly, like a certain kind of mindset of person needs reminding that actually total control over their daily schedule is not the answer. And you need to sort of back away from that extreme. Uh, there are other people, as I say, who exist on the other extreme. They're just completely at the mercy of family or organizational rhythms and schedules. And for them, a different um, advice might be appropriate. And also, I think the way that the social, the broader sort of cultural and economic trends are very sort of hyper-individualizing. And I try to talk in the book about how some of those, even ones that seem very good, like flexible working and the option to work from home, um, or been a bit changed by the pandemic. But, you know, these things are good. They're good. They improve, increase people's freedom. They allow them to live family lives on their own terms. But they do have this effect of sort of drawing us out of synchrony with each other. And that's a loss. But I definitely don't think it follows from that that that, that collaborative time that I think we're missing uh, is in itself um, just just better. I mean, it's got to be that both of these have an important role. And in some ways, another theme that I write about, sort of speaking directly to that, is this idea that it, it's kind of hard to do nothing, where and it's useful and 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 beneficial in terms of one's experience of life to be able to not rush away into digital distractions every time something you're working on gets difficult not always have to have something to do in a setting like you know being in nature or not always having to work towards some goal and in a way I don't know what you think about this but in a way I feel like that sort of distraction you know just completely giving in and wasting hours and hours on social media that you didn't want to waste there that is that is a kind of collective experience because everyone else is there too and to be willing not to go onto that but to just sort of be in the space that you are working on whenever you're working on reading a book slowing down to the speed that those things require and being okay with the discomfort that that sometimes generates like that's a big theme in my book too and that seems like it is more what you're describing as alonement right it's that sort of it's not rushing away from meaningful experiences many of which are solitary uh into the sort of fizzy um distractions of uh kind of that sort of social media kind of kind of collective existence i like that you use the term fizzy <laughs> fizzy distractions i guess it's i guess that's it it's all the, the all the dopamine rush and the, yeah, and the sort right. of um you know game uh video game-esque technology keeping us yeah keeping us attached to it yeah I mean I think that it's really interesting to explore what what alone versus what 
social means because I think the boundary becomes blurred particularly with social media which is often done in a solitary way in a way that actually isn't very socially fulfilling it's almost right right it's no, a hilarious term. Yeah. no and you have you know in the sort of the the, the cultural cliche of the kind of you know the pure stereotype here of the kind of loser young man sitting in a basement getting hyper radicalized on youtube and and you know all that kind of side of algorithmic uh attention economy like is that person alone or in or, or with lots of people it's kind of it, it sounds like you think of that person as being solitary in a bad way to an extreme degree would benefit from more connections and yet on the other hand it's a deeply kind of um collective experience that you're engaged in then um it's reminding me of that quote which i mentioned in the book from hannah arendt about how uh sort of uh totalitarian political movements and things like that are um are mass something like mass organizations of isolated individuals so there's actually a kind of collectivity that is very that is still based on people each in their own lives being isolated in a bad way that sort of leads to these these very troubling movements because that's where they get their that's that's where they go for their sense of collective meaning it's actually really useful for kind of tyrants and dictators and people <laughs> to it's really useful for them that the main bond among all their followers be them rather than that they're actually you know socializing and connecting and weaving a fabric of community out in the world that might challenge their power you know just to get just to get radically uh political about it for a moment well you know what the particularly dark disturbing thing about that is I know that this isn't what that quote relates to necessarily but it made me think of dating apps it made me think how there are however many million lonely people sitting on hinge or bumble on a Sunday night scrolling away with an app which is sort of I mean I imagine it's kind of within the business aims to keep people single right sort of scrolling in this way not actually getting real connection feeling isolated and uh you know doing it doing it at home and it's it's a sort of mass gathering of isolated people online never quite getting the social connection they're seeking yeah that's a great parallel i i i my direct experience of online dating is is too too close to non-existent to know about the individual apps but basically a business model you'd expect would be that you should stay dissatisfied because if you go on there for one month find the love of your life and never use the app again that is that's uh that's a poor it's a poor business model yeah i don't know if you've experienced this but i almost hit quite an inconvenient wall probably just after bringing my book out maybe even before it came out through doing this podcast where my book is about being alone but the sort of not not even the fine print that the, the very obvious message of the book is that it's not about being alone all the time it's mm-hmm. a moderate value it's about being positive about the quality time you do spend alone but I think inevitably when you represent something then people do want to think in extremes it's easier for I don't know it's easier for the producer of a radio show or someone tweeting about something or whatever to to take things too extreme and I wanted to ask you about this because I guess that (laughs) it's probably well you get you get put into those 
those very black and white sort mm-hmm. of stereotypes. And I think that even if you, you know, you've written those books, you've explored the topic, you've explored the nuance, you've mm-hmm. had the luxury of doing so, you're still in the publicity cycle, almost get dragged back and put into that black and white thinking. And that's why it really interested me because you have a you have a knack for a good book title. And I really like the title of your book in uh, 2011, Help Health Become Slightly Happier and Get a Bit More Done, which is so innately moderate. And I guess you yeah. were writing already as someone who had explored happiness and productivity and, you know, was quote unquote, a happiness expert, a productivity expert. And, and, and the book title almost inherently manages those expectations. Yeah. Have, have you struggled with that? Oh, totally. And uh, I totally know what you mean. And it's like, I mean, uh, less so with those, that book title, but the, um, if you write a book on the challenges of using our finite time wisely and you sort of give it a title that's meant to be shocking, I don't think the, <laughs> I think the message of the book is hopefully liberating and relaxing, but, but the title is definitely, the title is definitely there to grab your attention. 4,000 weeks being the average lifespan in the West. Yeah, right. If you if you then post your Wordle results to Twitter, someone's going to be like, oh, well, that's not a very good u- way to use your finite time. I think the implication is that I will be spending every moment of my waking life uh, solely on the most fulfilling ta- uh, uh, activities imaginable. I think it's pretty clear from how I try to write. I'm just trying to be honest about like what I think is probably the right way forward and not because I've achieved a great accomplishment at it. In fact, I ex- suspect that you'd agree with this i'd be interested to know like you're obviously drawn to write about topics that you struggle with the ones that you're not that you find completely straightforward and easy are not interesting um so if you think of something you've always been just completely good at i don't know i could have written a book on spelling i've always been really good at spelling (laughs) but it's just so dull so this is like i'm obviously trying to grapple with something that has charge for me when it comes to these these books so i that's why i think it's kind of excusable to still be a huge kind of work in progress when it comes to putting them into into practice i mean i know it's quite your question but the moderation i think part of what i'm trying to say in all these books and trying to on some level just like get through my own thick head i suppose is this idea that like it really is about moderation there really isn't one simple clean answer and like hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season i love the change of seasons but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather kleenex ultra soft tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin for this allergy season grab kleenex and face allergies head on Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is really frustrating and uncomfortable and annoying to have to accept, right? It's not. It's not the moderation of like... Just so it's not a sort of passive, let's all just be, can't we just all be nice and combine things? Like, I don't think it's boring. I think it's like, it's like a bucket of cold water over your head, if you're like me anyway, to have to accept that there isn't a perfect formula uh, or that it isn't all, there isn't like one mantra that will see you through the whole of life. There isn't one productivity technique that's going to, uh make you into a perfectly self-disciplined hyperproductive person forevermore like this is a i wish there was um and it's annoying that there isn't but there's also quite a lot of opportunity i think in the in the writing for humor in the fact that there isn't right and so i hope that that subtitle that you quoted is kind of on some level lets you know that what you read is going to be funny because i think humor is a big way of coping with the annoying human situation and the abs- <laughs> and the absence of these uh simple formulas and uh you know uh easy ways to completely transform yourself into a perfect person etc cetera, yeah. et yeah i guess that's uh that's the the benefits almost the consolation prize of holding your hands up and saying i'm not an expert you get to be humorous about it yeah. you get to be more human yeah i think that's right i mean and look i don't think this is I do think that everyone, all the sort of cliched self-help guru people who write books as if they have no problems and are perfect exemplars of the life that they're um, recommending, they're all in the same boat too. It's just that I, I, if, if, if I'm going to give myself credit for something, it's just going to be like being more honest about the situation that is true in in all those cases. Um, like, you know, I don't think it's any different really i think like all good books that seek to advise anybody on anything you, you sort of want the author to have grappled with the thing i'd have thought um mm. rather than just have been perfect at it all along oh absolutely and you know i must say i've heard you on various podcasts including uh, one of my favorites the control out delete podcast and i think that the main thing that, that really sticks in my head is that you you are able to embrace this work in progress nuss and that is almost to give you the deserved credit for that that's given me a lot of freedom to almost forgive myself as well as 
a debut self-help author struggling initially with that I mean I I really did because I think I was and I think there is perhaps a cultural difference here because I was reading a lot of American self-help books and I think that there is there is almost a tendency more in those to be more black and white about it whereas for instance in your work and also Alan de Botton who I really enjoy the work of he says that he is his own patient and I think that that honesty actually is is really nice and even I mean I went through the bizarre process of of getting a book deal for a book about being alone a month before a pandemic began (laughs) (laughs) and then having to navigate what was loneliness you know for months because I was living alone I didn't I wasn't able to see another person for two months, which was very bizarre. And at the time, it was almost, it was that bucket of cold water that you describe. It was horrible having to come up against that and accept that that was an experience I was having Mm. and that there was that gray area. But now, retrospectively, two years in, I'm so glad for that because I think it's allowed me to intellectually, emotionally, whatever way, to to explore that topic and now alone time makes more sense and particularly the idea of it being moderate and about quality rather than quantity all of that that's become so much more of a thing that I believe after having experienced almost every every side of it yeah well I I mean and obviously it's become even more of a universal thing we think about so it's you know it's the right subject for this time in terms of the enforced alone time of the pandemic and the strange difficulties of re-entering communal life after it and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, well, I think that that's it. And I think that anything that can give more empathy, I think what's really wonderful now is that people are speaking about loneliness in a different way because it's one of those things where you can only really understand the inherent loneliness in I suppose everyone's everyone's Mm. circumstance everyone's lifestyle has some capacity for loneliness but you don't you're not able to empathize with that unless people are honest about where that comes from otherwise I think people impose probably ideas oh that situation seems lonely oh that situation seems lonely but for instance I I've spoken to a lot of mothers of well parents but but particularly you know mothers who go on maternity leave and they're left at home with young children that that can be a very lonely state which for instance isn't spoken about enough yeah no absolutely it's 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 um it it doesn't map exactly whether you're in a room on your own or with other people for certain right I mean we've we've known yeah we know that I think about about loneliness I mean I think this is making me think of might be a weird tangent but um I've been quite heavily influenced and in a book I mentioned a few times, you know, by um, the Jungian approach to psychology and psychotherapy. And without going into huge detail, one of the things there that is one of the very basic ideas that makes a big difference to me there is just this notion that the individual human psyche contains or can be usefully thought of anyway as containing sort of multiple parts, right? So there's so inside yourself there are kind of relationships between your ego and your unconscious. And if you want to go down the Jungian route, all sorts of other um entities that are inside you. So you're so you're so the self is like a collectivity in these uh, in this sense. 
And to me, that makes a bit more sense out of these questions of solitude and aloneness and loneliness and being with other people. It's like we need to tend to all the important relationships in our lives. And some of them are with ourselves and some of them are with some of them take place inside our skin container and some of them are um, outside of it. So then it just sort of seems to make a kind of intuitive sense, right? Yeah, of course, there's there's sort of psychological entities in me that I need to give proper care and attention to. And then there's the psychological entity called my five-year-old son who I need to give <laughs> lots of time and attention to. And like, obviously, obviously they both need my time and attention. Yeah, I you know, the, the Jungian uh, archetypes, it's something that, I don't I definitely don't know enough about but I like the idea of tending to those almost figures and parts of yourself within your head uh, and almost I can imagine in the context of this you're and forgive me if I'm, I'm going off on a bizarre tangent here but it's like tending to the the solitary bookworm inside your head but also the the gregarious socialite who just wants to be seen would that be almost yeah I mean look how you divide these things up and I don't think that like Jungian archetypes are kind of objectively scientifically true and but but just the yeah it's just this basic idea of being comprised of parts and that and that means that there are relationships that go on uh inside you as well as between you and the outside world it just seems like a a useful frame and like you don't have to sort of your your sort of journey through life or personal development or whatever it is doesn't have to be based on the assumption that like one of these is meant to be killed off at the expense in in order for the other one to flourish right that's just that you would never think that about people i hope so why would you think <laughs> why would you think it about um parts of your psyche i guess no that would certainly be overtly minimalist to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to expect and I think again I, a lot of what you say is very inherently soothing to me and I'm sure a lot of your readers and I think that that is a nice way to navigate what might feel like the hypocrisy of being a quote-unquote solitude loving person who also wants the opposite sometimes yeah I mean I think this idea of kind of I'm always struck. But I write on lots of things and people say they felt like a piece of writing gave them some kind of permission. And it's always a bit kind of strange to me because I just think like, what, who am I to give you? Like, you know, it's like, I'm not, uh, I'm not your boss. But I think it, I think the, the way I think about that is it's, it's sort of permission that comes from showing, pointing to how things are in the world and how we all know that they are. So I, on the questions that I write about in the book, a lot to do with kind of busyness and time management and getting things done. If you can sort of come to see why getting everything done is completely impossible, if you can come to see that just life just is a matter of choosing between some things that matter and neglecting some in order to focus on others, if you can see that that's sort of built in, then there's permission there, right? Because you've suddenly seen that the thing you were trying to do, which in that case was, um, you know, get get around to everything that matters, you well, it's suddenly it's it's obviously impossible for anyone. So the permission is there because you just see that the thing you'd been trying to do was like trying to make two plus two add up to five. It's like we don't beat ourselves up for that because we know that it's not on the table that we can do it. Um, and so I guess transferring that back into the wanting solitude, wanting alone time and wanting to be with 
with others i mean like why would you expect to be able to sort of streamline and rationalize this this stuff it seems so clear that we're going to need both sides of this in order to function well and thrive so um yeah and once you sort of see that that's just sort of built in then it's fine like you don't need to feel bad about being human in that respect i guess wow wow again so soothing (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad to hear it and it's interesting in your book you do navigate the topic of loneliness in relation to the idea of uh being a digital nomad which i don't know maybe it's because we haven't been able to travel as much as we would have liked to over the past few years or maybe it's just a very instagrammable way of being but you know the idea of being a digital nomad on your laptop in thailand you know solo working has has achieved this sort of strange superior status and yet you write in your book and, and and i'm going to quote you here traditional nomads aren't solitary wanderers who just happen to lack laptops they're intensely group focused people and then you go on to say in their more candid moments digital nomads so the sort of 21st century take on the nomad they will admit that their chief problem with their lifestyle is acute loneliness so how would you get that balance how would you embrace the power of being nomadic of having that sort of aspirational solo working lifestyle without the inherent loneliness of it right it's interesting i mean i'm i'm using digital nomads as a sort of as a sort of extreme case in the book to sort of people who have achieved something very close to 100% sovereignty over the decisions about when and where they do what they do and how going to that extreme or sort of valuing that extreme even if you don't get to be a digital nomad yourself misunderstand something right which is and i quote there from the writer mark manson writing about when he was a digital nomad and talking about a friend of his who was also a digital nomad anyway it's three steps removed um watching sitting in a park in japan presumably with his laptop and watching like a family go by on bikes and realizing that you know in his quest for in his quest to be able to do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted that was like a thing he couldn't do like it wasn't open to him to go with either people in his family or or just friends, you know, on a bike around a park in Japan because all his friends were other parts of the planet, and uh, and uh, and so he it was sort of things that were put beyond reach by that. I think that it sort of speaks to, for me anyway, it speaks to how sort of incidental um, social connections are so crucial, and how a lot of what like. I mean, when I say that I've spent a day, say, alone, and it's been productive or it's been energizing, it's 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 alone of a in a very certain way, right? So it's it's it might be sort of alone in my uh, the room where I work, but um, but I know that at the end of the day, the family, you know, we're going to meet up and cook dinner and be together, or it might be alone in a Airbnb on the in a rural setting where I've come for a week to try to finish some book chapters, which I have occasionally done. Even then it's like, you know, you walk down to the village and have a conversation with somebody in the shop or something. And it's like, these things are actually really important parts of the 
of the process having that kind of and for years uh when i was living in new york i worked in a co-working space a really really great sort of uh a, a co-working space run by a couple who'd set it up as a sort of a community endeavor in some ways and that was sort of perfect because i was totally like i did what i wanted when i wanted nobody could make me come into my desk to my desk at a certain time but every time i went to get a cup of coffee i would like have brief conversations with people and i got all the many of the benefits of working in a in an office and many of the benefits of working at uh, working at home so i in some ways you could almost see the alone time in those contexts as um as relying on a social web right it's like they work because you can also have these uh glancing interactions and feel like you're part of you're part of a of a community or a culture um and that sort of it's that it kind of frees you up to go off and spend three hours deep in thought about some idea that you're trying to write about. Um, when you're truly, I, I mean, I once or twice in my early adulthood, I would, I remember, you know, I, I went places for extended periods to try to allegedly, I don't know, come up with book ideas or, or write stuff. And I can remember that, you know, there was just, there was just like a month or two. It was never a lifestyle as a digital nomad or anything, but um, I can remember feeling, so sort of distracted by the weirdness and I think actual loneliness of a negative variety that it wasn't any good for focusing on the things I wanted to to write about. There's almost something good about having to fight for little bits of solitude, perhaps. <laughs> it's exactly it. I love that you use the analogy of a web. Uh, I often think about solitude existing within that or within for me it's a it's a scaffolding it's a framework right. but the idea that it's it only has meaning within that framework is 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 important and I actually it's funny you mention co-working spaces uh, I mean I'm going to shout out to my co-working space here um with, which is absolutely wonderful because it's it, it means that you have that I suppose someone used on Twitter the other day they use the phrase inbuilt socializing. And I, I think mm-hmm. that that's it. It's that inbuilt social life. It's just, you know, just to say hello to someone in the morning, it feels very natural, very human. And I think that it does in, even though it's a little social interaction, it forms a sort of foundation. It adds into that social web that, that allows you to thrive. And of course it is different for, it is different for everyone. Some people can uh, do with a little bit of that um you know I, I think that a little can go a long way when you're missing mm-hmm. it um but it's it, it's it's important and it does give you that sense of community as well I suppose no, totally I think I mean I don't I'm sure people have written and spoken about this but I feel like there's some potential for this kind of co-working and neighborhood-based co-working to be like a huge part of the future now because you have you know, you have office work, you have work from home, you have all these strange hybrid arrangements that companies are trialing where you have to go in uh, two days, three days a week, or it can, you can choose which three days a week, or it's all, or it's all the days, you know, it's, and it's, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever. But actually, I mean, from the point of view of an individual worker, individual person, like there's something beautiful about the idea that you would, that you could like leave your house keep a nice separation between your 
domestic life and your work life. Um, get focus that you can't have if there's all the stuff is going on in, in, a, in a house, whether it's like family or housemates or whatever. Go to a place, a place that was in your neighborhood, so you didn't have to commute for an hour and a half to get to a place where you don't know anything about the sort of neighborhood or it's just a business district or something. Um, work alongside other people in a in a in a part of you know in your neighborhood and be part of that but at the same time have this kind of ability to set your own schedule uh within it i mean it's just like it just feels like a sort of magical answer to all these problems right nobody wants to commute but people don't all want to be shut up at home uh and you know one thing i would find with my um co-working space um would be that actually you know if you did need to find a an accountant or you needed some legal advice on something or someone to do web design for you or something, uh, there will be trustworthy people who you could sort of, you know, if you're, if you need to pay someone to do some particular job as part as a sort of self-employed writery person, um, they were there. And so you had this kind of little community of expertise as well. It's like, yeah, I think it could be a real, a real major part of the future. I don't know how big corporations factor into that, whether they'd be happy to have so many of their, uh employees at those kinds of hubs but i think it could be something really interesting yeah who knows i think that i think yeah i think we're onto something here um <laughs> future of work starts here and i think you know also the absence of a hierarchy it makes it more of a true community rather than mm-hmm. a situation where i always used to i i a couple of times in my sort of full-time office working life i had it where a boss would be really quite extroverted or would, would you know in the moments where they sort of wanted to chat they they would be the person that was quite disturbing to everyone else's flow but you can't really get in the way of that because there's a hierarchy of who was allowed to mm-hmm. disturb and who was who is not whereas in a co-working space there's a sense of mutual respect to allow work in solitude but then also the option to be sociable if yeah. you want it it's a nice halfway house i think no, totally, and it feels like some sort of recreation of a of a very sort of rustic sort of days gone by way of in which sort of village life would function or something around different craftspeople, but sort of updated for the knowledge work era. I guess there would be issues uh, having. Uh, I guess certain companies don't want their employees hanging out over coffee with the employees of rival companies and things like that. <laughs> I don't know how it would uh, how it would uh, go. Yeah, tough, tough one to uh, tough one to facilitate. And finally, we spoke about alone time being something that for you now is more about quality over quantity. Uh, you said that six hours is perfectly enough for you. Uh, that said, <laughs> what is your alonement? The the times that I am most sort of restored by being solitary uh, here in the North York Moors, where we are living now sort of 25 minute walk or a five minute drive from kind of a very bleak pretty barren more tops and I've sort of made it my business to make sure I get there not every day but multiple times a week rather than expecting there to be time in my life for many three-hour hikes uh, sometimes it's just a question of leaving half an hour earlier on the school run or taking some time at lunch but to be in that landscape is just like I just it's funny I didn't quite grow up here I grew up pretty nearby but in a suburban 
contexts. I don't know what it is about this landscape, but I completely feel like I could just like there's just nowhere better. I I, I could not sort of look at any other landscape to the day I die, and I feel like I'd be happy. I don't I don't know why. It's not um it's not super beautiful, at least in some ways, but it is so big and uh sort of all encompassing in a way that i think it kind of maybe it maybe it usefully kind of cuts you back down to size or something i don't know what's going on there you feel kind of small in the midst of it and uh yeah there's nothing better uh, i'm amazed how like 20 minutes of that makes all the difference to the day i adore how we've had this conversation about being moderate and that kind of thing and yet you've somehow combined that moderate philosophy with this Wordsworthian sort of existentialist beautiful <laughs> description. Yeah, I'm, walk- I'm walking along there thinking deep thought I'm not often I'm not I'm not I'm just, it's just um yeah it's just uh it's just fantastic the North York Moors everyone should come but but not all at once <laughs> Well, if this if this podcast isn't being sponsored by my co-working space, it definitely should be by the uh, the Yorkshire Tourist Board. Yes, <laughs> <I think>. right. <laughs> uh, Oliver, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you. It's been a great conversation. Thank you very much for it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. This one made me think so hard. I think that it's kind of amazing how Oliver's written all these books and yet he is just full of these original ideas. I feel like I need to go away and take some time to just sort of reflect, especially that idea of efficiency and aloneness and that sort of connection. Anyway, I hope you had a good time uh, listening. I certainly had a good time recording and yeah, please do follow us on social media, get in touch to let us know what you thought about the episode. And if you fancy leaving a review, you know where to do it. Apple and now Spotify these days. For now, have a great week and I'll see you next with another episode of the podcast. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.